many law firm owners get stuck on this concept of more? I know I went through this for the longest time. I wanted more cases, I wanted more money. What I didn't want, but what I ended up getting was more problems. Why? Because I wasn't focused on the right things, specifically from a money standpoint, profitability. That's why I'm so happy to have Ryan Kimler on today. Ryan helps law firm owners prevent cash flow leaks with one clear profit path. Helping attorneys earn more net profit and more take-home pay, his one clear profit path gets attorneys off the never-ending cash flow hamster wheel. Come on, I know that uh, that's familiar for me. Working all the time, never gaining ground, trying to figure out where all the money's going. I mean, this is so common, unfortunately, for so many of us. Uh, he's the founder of Net Profit CFO. Ryan leverages his background in accounting and finance to provide small law firm owners the financial guide that they need to grow, profit, and succeed. Ryan, thanks for being here with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Glad to be here. And for those of you that watched last week's episode where Victor Medina interviewed me, uh, this one will go back to a more normal style so you don't have to listen to my voice that much. Instead, you get uh, Ryan sharing his wisdom and expertise here. So we're going to dive right in. Um, obviously, the accounting, the finance, the profitability background, what we're talking about today is the secrets to running a profitable law firm. So Ryan, I guess, uh, where do we start? Like, what is what is a profitable law firm? Like, what is the definition that we're looking for here? Sure. So I think that's really dependent. That's on a case-by-case basis, right? I, I think as an owner, you really have to ask yourself, what do I want my life to look like? How much money do I want to make? And really find that balance and, and really sit down and kind of go through your goals, go through where you want to be a year, five years from now. Um, you know, I always ask when I start working with law firm owners, you know, what are you doing in your business right now that you don't want to be doing? And, you know, I think that question is super, super powerful just because the reason why you get stuck doing things you don't want to do is because you're not profitable enough to hire somebody to take over that task for you. And so I think, you know, the definition of success is is really up to the individual and is really up to the owner. Um, but having a clear path and a clear direction on where you want to go and, and where kind of that end point is, is most important. So when it comes to like, what li- what do you want your life to look like? Are you okay going on the hot seat or you want me to go on the hot seat? Because I think show like giving people this example becomes the easiest way for lawyers to create the example for themselves. Sure. Yeah, so I'm I'm totally open for going on the hot seat. I'll I'll share All with right. the audience what I want my life to look like. Um, you know, so for me right now, um, I'm still, you know, solo business owner, right? And and I have an assistant. And I'm really getting close to that point where I'm gonna hire my first CFO, right? And so kind of the fork in the road, if you will, or the decision that I'm getting ready to make is I'm letting somebody else start taking over fulfillment. Obviously, I'm going to be there to train them, coach them, all those kinds of things. But I really want my focus to shift on to marketing and sales. And the Hold really- on, just pause for one second. So, because I use the term fulfillment also, but for anybody who's tracking along with this, in this case, fulfillment is the legal work. You know, for Ryan, it's the accounting, it's the CFO stuff. For you all, it might be the criminal defense or the estate planning. Like it's the fulfillment of the service somebody hired you for. All right. So now you want to focus on marketing and sales. Yes. And and the big reason is, is because I have a vision and a long-term goal to really grow my business and help more law firm owners and help more business owners. And 
you know, just this year, I want to get to a point where I'm helping 50 small business owners. Um, you know, that's really the, the big goal for me. And in order for me to do that, I have to keep marketing and I have to keep, you know, getting my business out there and, and, you know, going through the sales process with new clients. And, you know, I just really have a passion for helping law firm owners, you know, that are small business owners. Most of them are not experts in the financials like me and my firm is. And I just have a passion for getting out there and helping those people, right. And helping them have stronger businesses. And so that's a little bit of, a little bit of my vision, a little bit of what I want to be doing. And so, you know, I'm doing the activities and and really directing myself that way. So, I mean, dream big with me here and and dreams, the wrong word, because we're going to, we're setting this goal to hit it. Yep. Putting all these things in place, you know, getting this CFO, allowing you to focus on sales and marketing. What does that life look like in, you know, five or 10 years? Like what's that, what's that BHAG? What's that gigantic goal? Cause I think the, the, I think the stronger we make that picture, the more decisions we subconsciously make to get there. Yep. Yeah. So the, so the big goal for me is a million dollar practice in three years. That's, that's the, that's the big goal. Um, and, you know, helping 50 small business owners is, is definitely setting myself on that track on that way. Um, you know, why a million dollars? I don't know. Right. I mean, like, I'm not really, you know, I'm not really interested in, you know, paying myself more than right? I mean, it's more than enough to live on, right? Comfortably. I just want to help more and more business owners, right? I mean, a million dollar firm, kind of just the big goal that that I've wanted and want to go after. Um, Eventually, I would like to be a member of Forbes. Um, In order to do that, you've got to, you've got to have a million dollars, a million dollars, be operating a million dollar business. And you also have to have access to, I think it's over a million dollars in capital, and there's some other requirements too, but, um, you know, just again, and again, just to kind of grow my influence and really get my knowledge and information out there. And obviously the Forbes network is huge. So it's kind of my, kind of my goals and that's what I'm going after. Um, and I want to get that done in the next three years. So, and obviously for you from the, uh, what to cut out, you're looking first at the fulfillment at the actual, the CFO work. Yeah. And I, and I think that's just because. I, I have a really good system with my one clear profit path system that I can train um, other accountants and other professionals on to run. Like um, that is not that is not nearly as hard to hand off as what marketing my company would be, right? I mean, I think nobody can market your company better than you can, right? Because you Except know us. No, Ex- I'm yeah. just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, no. Because honestly, even from our standpoint, so much of what we push is the done with you as opposed yeah. to the done for you. Like there is a there's a way for everybody to work together in a win, 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 win. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think um, yeah, and so that's why that's why I'm I'm looking to hand off fulfillment first, um, because it's the part that I feel like I can train on and really, you know, hand off easily or easier. Um, and we'll still run smoothly, right? Still, you know, have checks and balances, high value client service. I'll still sit in on some of the client meetings from time to time. And yeah, I mean, that's that's just by far the easiest part to hand off for me. And the the more that you have those systems in place, the more that you can scale the fulfillment, the easier it is to not worry about the marketing being effective. Like there are so many firms I talk to 
that are spending, you know, 30, 40% of their budget on marketing, but then they do a crummy job for no reason other than they don't have enough hours to do the work that's coming in. So, um, you know, spoken like a true marketing person, make sure you can handle the work before you have successful marketing. Yeah. I think, I think one of my, one of my fears would be like, you know, what if I didn't have the systems in fulfillment and what if I run across that law firm owner that is a perfect situation to work with me. Right. And I can't, I have to tell them, Hey, I'm not ready to take you on. You know, we can't start working together until June, right. Or two or three months down the road. Right. Like that would be like a really, <laughs> that, that I would not be happy with myself if I had to tell somebody that. Right. I mean, like, I don't want to turn someone away. That's a really good fit to work with me, especially if they want to work with me and I want to work with them. That would just be a bad, bad situation. I don't want to get into. Makes subtle sense. All right. So you're walking these law firm owners through what life do you want to live? How much you want to make? What to cut out? And then what? Like we've got these questions lined up. I guess actually before that, are there any other questions you want to make sure that they outline first? I think those are the important ones. Um, okay. The, you know, the next one that I that I really follow up with is, you know, kind of the, some of the questions you were asking me, right? Which is, you know, a year from now, what does your business look like? Like if everything went perfectly, went how you wanted it, what does your business look like? And then kind of the same question for three and five years, right? If everything goes perfectly, what does it look like? Mapping it out, right? That's and how, how many of those people say I'm retired? Like that's the, it goes <laughs> so well in that time frame, and I'm out. Some, um, and some have some other big goals too. Like I want to pay, you know, I want to compensate myself a million dollars, right? When they're firm size yet isn't even a million dollars, right? Like that's a, that's a huge goal, right? Because in order to compensate yourself a million dollars, you're talking, okay, so you want a three, four, five, six X this business from where you're at right now today. So yeah, I, I get some, I get some big goals sometimes. Um, but you know, I think it is really important to have that clear direction and know where we're going. Totally. All right. So you've got those answers. Walk me through how you're helping them get that clear direction. Yeah. So from there, we're diving into the numbers or I'm diving into the numbers, right? I mean, my my whole goal for the law firm owners that I work with is just to make the finances and the numbers easy. Um, you know, financials are so important and I can't I can't stress enough, like like they really are the scoreboard of your business, right? I mean, you can have marketing scoreboards and things like that too. And those are really important. And that's a part of the financials, right? Your marketing expenditures are a part of the financials. Um, and at the same, and you know, your your overall financial picture is like I said, is really the scoreboard of your business. Um, and if you know how to use the financials correctly and really look at them and see what's going on and know what points to dive into, then you can really run your business and prioritize what should be done next in order to make your business have more profit, have more cash flow, and just be a stronger, healthier business financially. So that's what we're doing next. That or that's what I'm doing. Is I'm doing I'm doing a lot of the heavy lifting there, right? To answer your question is, you know, again, I try to make it as easy as possible for my clients. I do a lot of the heavy lifting, a lot of the financial analysis um, to really dive in and see you know, what needs fixed, what's not on track compared to the goals that we talked about. And then, 
you know, going on, going from there, um, you know, then the, the owner and I can really have a meeting and discuss, you know, okay, if this metric is not on track, what is the plan that you and I are going to put together to really get it on track, to get you headed in the right direction? And that's, that's kind of how I, how I operate the system. I mean, I can go into more detail, but that's really kind of the overview of what happens next. So, I mean, be honest with me here. How much similarity is there in this, you know, financial analysis will get us off track from the goals from firm to firm? Like, is it, is it 80% the same? Is it 20% the same? Is it 50% the same? Like, what's the... Yeah, I would I would say I would say there's probably 30 or 40% overlap, right? I mean, every every business, every every law firm owner, they end up having their own situation because they all want to get to a different place, right? Um, but with that being said, usually, you know, there is some common overlap challenges, right, that that I do see from law firm to law firm. Um, and, and that's where probably that 30 to 40% comes in that even though they have different goals the same metrics hold them back and are not on track. What are those most common problem metrics? Yep. So um, two that I see most commonly, number one is around pricing. So one of the, one of the things that I do in my analysis, um, you know, going beyond just looking at collection rate and realization rate and all that is, I look at the volume of invoices, especially for those firms that are billing hourly or even the firms that are doing flat rate, right? I don't work, I don't work with a lot of contingency firms. That would be, you know, a whole different scenario. But um, so mo- most of the firms that I work with are, are that hourly or flat rate business. And I go through and typically I'm looking at two years worth of invoices. And, you know, kind of the analysis that I'm doing is um, you know, twofold is is one you know, what's the average price on those invoices as far as, you know, a dollar volume when you issue an invoice to your client. And then two is what's the volume of invoices, right? Because those those two factors together are really what's going to contribute to the revenue of the firm. Are you, are you looking, so you're going through two years, are you looking at it as on average, you send a bill every month for X or on average over two years, clients pay you X per case, or is it both of those things? Both of those things. Okay. Yeah. And 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 the bill volume one can really be can really tell some really good insights. Um, and and you know once I kind of get that number of okay, what's your average, right? What's been your high? What's been your low? Then moving forward, I can see you know what bill volume the law firm is doing, and then we can kind of talk about okay, what's your caseload right now, right? Because if the bill volume starts to slow down then it's like, okay, are we having a marketing issue? And are we going to have, you know, cash flow revenue problems down the road, right? Every, most everything that I do is I'm looking towards the future um, as their CFO, right? And kind of forecasting forward. Um, but, you know, as I, as I was saying with the pricing, you know, for, for the firms that are doing flat rate or they're billing hourly, if their caseload kind of shrinks, then you'll see that the average price on an invoice goes up because they're putting more hours into less cases, right? So, you know, getting a really good handle on that and making sure that also that the pricing model is correct 
Um, and then, you know, figuring out where should their case load and case volume be so that when they have cases closed, we're making sure that we're replacing them with new ones, right? That's really a place where I can see some law firms trip up. And how they get themselves in trouble with pricing is usually that they haven't increased their prices in a couple of years. Um, and meanwhile, their employees have gotten more expensive. And that's kind of the second problem that they kind of go hand in hand together, but is how how much is your payroll as a percentage of revenue? How much are you paying out to your attorneys, you know, including bonus, including bonuses, including benefits, all of that sort of thing. And as I said, you know, usually what happens is, you know, the, the law firm started with a gap of X, right? And, and it's, you know, let's call it two, three X, whatever it is, right? And then they give the employee raises and they get an extra bonus here and there. And then all of a sudden their margin gets slimmer and slimmer, right? And so, and at the same time, the firm is usually trying to grow, right? That's what, seems like that's what every firm wants, right? Is is no matter where they are today, and you know, they want to grow top line revenue, right? More case, just like you mentioned at the beginning of the show, more cases, more clients, that sort of thing. And so then it becomes, can they run enough volume while they're trying to grow to overcome those thin margins? And most of the time, the answer to that question is no, they can't. And that's where I've seen some law firms get into some trouble, um, especially because the volume increases, collections kind of fall off a little bit, right? And so there's lots of problems that pop up all at the same time, and then you can get yourself into a cash crunch. Question for you. Yes. Have you ever spoken to a law firm owner that's raised their prices and then uh, regretted it? No. Me neither. <laughs> no. Okay. Like, like I really, yeah, no, and it, it it didn't even take me very long to to think about it. No. No. So your the two most common problems you see the pricing issue and the payroll as a percentage of revenue, or was that underneath as part of the pricing? Yeah, those are the two most common issues that I see. Yep. And then if I was to add a third one, kind of the kind of the next tier, those are the top two that I see. And if I was to add a third one, kind of the next tier down, it usually is that marketing engine, that marketing machine. That's that's normally the next common problem that I see. Um yeah, those are those are the big three. When it comes to payroll as a percentage of revenue, is there a number that is consistent across your successful firms or is it still so varied? Yes, uh, between 40 and 45%. And that includes the owner on payroll. It includes the owner on payroll getting paid a fair wage or it includes the owner on payroll, period? it includes the owner on payroll getting paid a good living wage. Yes. Not like, like I don't want, I don't want the, like I don't want an owner of an S corp just to be on payroll because they have to be right. And they're paying themselves out 50, let's say just say $50,000, but then they're paying out 200,000 in distributions. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, no, let's let's legitimately, you know, pay, you know, including paying yourself a salary, 
you know, 150K, 175K, 200K, whatever it is, right, that you really want to make, um, even if, you know, even if that's not technically being run through payroll, right, I can kind of make the accounting adjustment to move that over into payroll so that we can see it, right? Because as I mentioned, you know, my goal, you know, for the successful firms that I'm working with is to get their payroll somewhere between 40 and 45% of total revenue. Yeah, it's amazing to me. Like, um, I'll, I'll talk to firm owners that, you know, read profit first, are told they're supposed to have a certain amount of profit. And they're like, all right, well, if I cut my salary down to whatever, <laughs> then I'll have the right percentage of profit. And I'm like, uh, yes, I guess that is technically correct. But that may not be the uh, the right way to go about it. Yeah, and I would and I would agree that's that's not the right way to go about go about it, right? Um, you know, my goal is to get, you know, law firms again. Like I said, most of the ones I work with are, you know, they're billing hourly or their flat rate. My goal is to really um, get them to be efficient first, right? And and so I like to see net incomes of. 20 to 25%. Um, and again, this is that's including that's including owner salary, right? When you say net income, you're so you're talking about 20 to 25% in profit at the end of everything. Yes. Yes. Of revenue. So if you're a million dollar business, that means your net income is somewhere between 200,000 and 250,000. Yep. And the and the reason being is. So, so a few things. Number one, that that sets the that really sets the firm up to grow because it does take capital and money to grow. And the other thing is, is that there's a lot of transactions that take place after that profit before we get down to cash flow in the bank and the change in the bank balance. So a few a few things that take place. So number one would be taxes. You got to pay taxes after your profits, right? Number you don't have to, but right. Yeah. I, I don't play those games (laughs) and no one should. I have a, a a friend of mine, she does tax law and it's always the controversy stuff. And so like every, you know, every couple of days, every couple of weeks, she'll post like, Oh, we had a client with a $150,000 tax bill. We got to resolve for 17 cents. And I'm like, and I always respond. I'm like, but still pay my taxes. She's like, yeah. So I was like, all right, fine. (laughs) No problem. Yeah. I, yeah. I do not mess with the IRS, man. I don't, I don't want to end up in orange. That's Correct. not that's that's not on my goal list. You know, they got a uh, you know seventy thousand something employees coming in, so they're uh, they're that, they that much more act- active. That they do. So yeah, so taxes they've got to be paid after profits, right? And then also um, investing in assets for the business. So that so for a law firm that would be let's say you go and you rent out a new space, and you let's say you furnish it, right? Law firm furniture that furniture purchase takes up cash after profits. So before we get down to the change in the bank, okay, um, another item would be paying down debt. And, you know, if you took on like um, EIDL loan during the pandemic, right, when you make the payments back, interest is deductible for taxes. Principal though is not. So the principal portion of that payment comes out of the law firm's cash after profits. And then lastly, you know, one other example is just paying out owner's distribution. That is cash that comes out of the business 
after profits. So, you know, what's really important to me is I want to set law firms up so that they have a bigger bank balance at the end of next year than that they have this year, or at least access to the capital, right? I mean, it, you know, if, if you're like, okay, well, my, you know, my bank balance is 250K, I don't need 250K in my bank. Like I'm going to go sit it in a, you know, aggressive CD or something, right? So that I'm making better than a bank interest, fine. But you and, still have access to it. Right. And to be clear, I am not a financial person in any way, shape, or form. But having seen how many banks have needed to be bailed out and have issues, maybe you shouldn't keep more than $250,000 sitting <laughs> in an account. Just, uh, you know, hypothetically. That That is fair in, in today's world <laughs> while we're talking about this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, and, you know, I think also having the cash on hand really puts you in a good place then to grow, right? So no matter, you know, even if you bring in an experienced attorney, even if they're your next attorney, right? You probably have different systems, different processes, different ways of doing things than their last firm, right? So there's a little bit of ramp up time, even if it's short, even if it's only a couple of weeks. And so, you know, it's not uncommon to see, you know, when you hire that next attorney or that next paralegal, to see the payroll expenses creep up above 40, 45% for a little while, while you're kind of onboarding that next attorney and while you're growing. And also most of the time you don't have a full caseload to just turn and hand them, right? And say, here you go, right? And so while that's happening, your net incomes are gonna drop. And so starting at a higher point of 20 or 25%, then when you have growth, then if they drop say 8%, Okay, I'm down to 12% net income or you know, maybe 17% net income for a while, right? But then you can kind of build it back up over time versus if you start with a 12% net income and then you drop 8%, shoot, now all of a sudden I'm down to 4, right? And so, you know, I really like to see, you know, those high net income firms, that's, you know, that's what I'm really trending towards and working with on my clients so that they're producing a strong net income and they're producing positive cash flow. So their bank balance is getting bigger year over year um, so that they can be financially stable. Um, and, you know, I would also say that over the last couple of years, even, I mean, maybe outside of the pandemic for a little bit, the market has been pretty good, right? And so, you know, right now, if we've got you in the good times at a 20 or 25% net income rate, then if you hit a little bit of a bad time, you know, your net income drops some, but you're not to the point where you're taking losses, right? And and I think that's important for owners to have a handle on and, and be set up really well for. Makes total sense. All right. So in the last, um, whatever we have left, I can't do math anymore, <laughs> 15 minutes or so. Yeah. What um so we talked about a lot of the problems so I want to flip it what are some of the things that you see these profitable law firms doing consistently like what are some of the KPIs or what are some of the most common overlaps of the good things that our listeners can be aiming towards Yeah so a few good things number 1 um even though I know a lot of attorneys out there are probably you know kind of scared of it a little bit the good law firms are using a lot of trust funds, right? 
And this really helps out their collection rate. Um, you know, I, I've, I actually have a couple of clients that I'm working with right now that they literally, they will not bill above what they have in trust. Um, and when you can do that with all of your clients, you know, you're, you're going to have a very, very high collection rate. Um, Should be 100%. Yes. Should yes. be. There's always the, uh, who knows? Yes. Um, but that, that makes a huge difference cash flow wise. Um, and so, so that's one of the things that I see successful law firms do is, is they have, you know, and usually they have somebody that handles their bookkeeping accounting that can really help them with their trust account. You know, as a, as an attorney, you're still responsible for it. Ultimately, even if you hand the duties off to an accountant, but they can really help you with it and make sure that it stays on track. Um, and I, hold on. I want to echo that just for, I have talked to so many lawyers that like went months without sending any bills out. And so right off the bat, you've hurt your cash flow. Second, what happens when your client gets a $6,000 bill dropped on their plate instead of three $2,000 bills over those months? And so like, you know, what you're talking about here, these, these larger firms using the trust, maybe having a dedicated person for it, whether it's part-time or full-time, that person may be paying their salary multiple times over off money that you are already owed, like without even marketing, without even bringing anything else, like solely just getting that money paid might be the best investment you can make in an employee. Yes. Yes. And, you know, also, you know, if you have like, if you have a, if you're working with a good accountant and you have an office manager or something like that, usually they can take on, you know, they can be trained and take on a lot of kind of the transactions in and out. Actually, the the firm that I was talking about that it's almost 100% retainer is about a $1.2 million firm a year. So they're not huge, right? They're not, it's not, you know, it's not like they're 15, 20 million or anything like that, right? I mean, they're 1.2 million, right? So yes, and, and I agree with you too, you know, issuing consistent bills, right? And when the trust funds are there, that really, really helps issuing consistent bills you know, every single month, because then you can notify your client, hey, we need more trust funds, right? And and then you, if you've got a couple of months on hand, you know, maybe you haven't fully billed their trust, maybe you build like a third of it, then they have a little bit of time to get the money back together, right? Um, so that's one, that's one of the big keys that I really see the successful firms that are billing flat rate and billing hourly do is they're billing consistently and they're using a lot of trust funds so that they have the money already. And honestly, and like from a, I don't even want to call it marketing, but from a client experience perspective, let's say they have $5,000 in trust and you resolve their case. And so not only are they happy with your resolution, but now you can also hand them a check for $3,500 back. Like it's just that little extra you know, as opposed to like the resolution where they're on the fence about and you're like, well, now you owe me $2,000. You can be like, oh, here, you know, here's the rest of the trust fund back. Like, I feel like it's such an opportunity to wow them at the end, which psychologically speaking is one of the most important things that we remember about things, how they end. Like, here's a chance to have that end with you giving them money back. That is a great point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. Thank you. Um, and then, you know, the, the second thing that I would say that, you know, some of the successful farms I'm working with are doing is, is really they keep track of productivity on their, on their attorneys um, and, you know, set those attorneys up for success 
they, you know, they kind of almost have the same conversation with the attorney that I have with the owner, which is, you know, you're an employee here, right? Where do you want to be a year, three, five years from now? What's, you know, what's your career track? What do you want to be doing? Right. How can we grow with you? Right. Where do you want your salary point to be? Right. If, if, if I know where your salary point is, right, then, you know, we can, we can direct where your billables need to be and what cases you need to bring to the firm and all that kind of thing. Right. And so it's a, really is a collaboration. And, you know, then they're, they're really just holding those attorneys accountable, right. And they're, they're making sure that they're billing the right number of hours and that they're going to get a good return, you know, on that attorney so that the payroll does stay between 40 and 45%. Um, You know, there's that kind of that old rule of a third, a third, a third, right. A a third of um, an attorney's billings go to payroll to pay them, a third goes to overhead, and then a third goes to profits. Um, I still think that that rule rings pretty true true today, um, and really tracking and, and making sure that attorneys are giving you at least a three x return. You know, unless they're kind of a partner level and they're bringing on a ton of cases, is really really important. Um, and some associate attorneys that I've helped my clients with, I've seen even better returns. I've helped them put together compensation packages and. Um, we've seen returns of like four and five X on associate attorneys. And so it's really important, I think, to have a three X or better, you know, kind of on your lower and middle middle level attorneys, um, because you've also got to pay for administrative staff that's not going to go into the billing. You know, they're going to be a percentage of payroll, but they're not going to contribute to the billings, right? And, and every firm has that. That's the way that it is. Um, but in order to get your payroll kind of that 40, 45% mark, um, you know, that's really where, that's really what those firms are doing is they're making sure that they're getting good returns. So that would be, that would be the second thing um, that I would, that I would say a lot of the successful firms are doing. And then the third thing is, is they really, they've got their, their marketing figured out, Um, you know, and sometimes, you know, that's, you know, it it goes case by case, you know, law firm to law firm, but as far as, you know, what they're doing and what's working, but um, they have their system figured out, right? And, and they know where more cases are going to come from when they need them. Um, and, you know, just kind of having that blanket of security is really, really important when we're planning out the finances and forecasting moving forward. Um, is that they're not going to have a shortage of cases and a shortage of work for the staff that they've got. And so those would be two or three of the top things that I would say the successful firms that I'm working with are doing. Now, I don't know if you did this intentionally, but if you notice your lists match up, like one of the biggest problems is pricing. One of the biggest positives is actually getting paid the money that you are owed. One of the biggest problems is payroll as a percentage of revenue. One is tracking the productivity of your attorneys to make sure that number stays in line. And then you've got marketing um, on both sides. The, the one thing though, I would add, I, every now and then talk to a firm that doesn't actually have a marketing problem. They have a sales problem. And by mm. that, I mean, they are getting plenty of leads. They are getting plenty of conversations. They just can't close them at an industry standard rate. I'm with you most of the time it's marketing, but just be aware if you're, you know, if you're referral based and you're closing 30% of your referrals, it might be a sales issue. If you're contingency fee and you're closing less than 75% of cases where they don't, the client doesn't have to pay, you probably have a sales issue. 
And so there are ways to increase all of your you know, financials by closing more of your leads just as much as there is getting more leads in. It's the you know raising rates versus adding more people versus being more productive with it. Like sales and marketing have a similar pull. Yep. Yeah. Really, I really like that that feedback a lot, and I think I think that's spot on. Um, yeah, it, it that actually absolutely can be a problem. I have not I have not seen that a ton with the firms that I've been working with, but I completely completely agree with you that it absolutely can be a conversion problem. So. What have we missed? What else yeah. do we need to make sure that we cover to provide as much value as possible for that growth-minded law firm owner? Yep. Yeah. So a couple of things I'll cover here at the end. Um, I, I think it's important. You know, I understand that for law firm owners, right, the finances is not your strength, right? Let's you know, let's just be upfront and honest about it, right? Um, so a few things that I want to cover here at the end are just some positions that you should have in your finance department and what those positions are going to do and when you should hire those positions. Okay. So um, first and foremost, when you get to six figures, especially if you have a trust account, you should be hiring a bookkeeper or a bookkeeping firm. And what that bookkeeper is going to do is the bookkeeper is in charge of creating the books. That's that's the words that I always like to use, right? They're creating the finances. They're they're tracking and, and categorizing all of the transactions that run through the business, right? This is revenue. These are expenses. These are travel expenses, whatever, right? They're categorizing all that stuff. In today's world, Zoom, remote workers, all that kind of thing. When you're at six figures, you can absolutely afford an outside bookkeeper, right? And you can probably get one for three, four, five hundred dollars a month, something like that. It is totally worth your time and go do it, right? Um, it is way better than having you do it when you're not the expert at it, or way better than having, you know, no reports at all and just having your CPA clean everything up at the end of the year. Or probably the worst one is putting it on your spouse when they don't want to do it. Right. That's probably one of right. the one of the if your spouse is a CPA and they want to help out, that's a different conversation. I agree. Yes. But the the bad situation is is when they are not and then they don't want to help out. <laughs> that's when that's when things get bad. Um but yeah, when you're six when you're six figures in revenue, you know, go get a bookkeeper hired. As you train as you kind of grow and transition and get to that two fifty, three hundred thousand dollar. Um, Mark, you should really make sure that your bookkeeper has the expertise to continue with you. And if they don't, you probably need to look at hiring an accountant, someone that's got a degree. They don't necessarily have to have their CPA, um, but somebody that has a degree really knows the tougher transactions, the journal entries that need to be made. Um, so they, and again, you can still hire that accountant at an outsourced firm as well. Um, and they're going to take over the bookkeeper's role and they're going to perform the accountant role. It is going to be a little bit more money. Again, though, it is totally worth it, especially for your opportunity costs on the other things that you could be doing. Um, then the next position after that is once you hit that kind of half million dollar mark or you're getting kind of close to it, especially if you're growing pretty fast, then you could look at hiring a firm like ours and get that part-time outside CFO role into your business. Um that half a million mark is going to be the place where it's affordable and really makes sense that you're going to get a good return on your investment. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, their job, as I kind of have explained in this, in this podcast, in this process, 
is their job is really to do the heavy analysis, find what points in the business are not working for you, and really forecast forward what needs to be changed to make the business better. That's really what a CFO is going to be doing for you. Um, I do it with a financial scorecard, for a financial dashboard, whatever you want to call it, um, so that we, you know, every single month we have a scorecard that we're looking at. We know where the important numbers are and we know what's on track and what's not on track. Um, but that's kind of the, the third role that you want to make sure that you hire in your finance department. And again, you know, with the way things are remote nowadays, if you're half a million dollar firm or larger, you can absolutely afford it. Where do you see, like, at what size is a firm bringing a full-time CFO? That's situation dependent, but you get five, $6 million and larger and you can afford it. And it's probably worth it um, because of the, all the additional value add and work that you're going to get. So when you're working with an outside CFO, they're probably not going to be like as hands-on and like documenting SOPs and checking internal controls in the accounting department and all that kind of stuff, working on billing and payables and all that stuff. Um, but when you hire an internal CFO, you know, they are absolutely going to be working with you on that. And I think, you know, once firms get that five, six million dollars and larger, you can that's when you can start looking at and affording an internal CFO. Um, because it is expensive. Um, you know, you're you're looking at probably a quarter of a million dollars plus for somebody that knows what they're doing salary wise, you know, not to mention taxes and benefits and all that. So yeah, five, six million dollars plus. Makes total sense. All right. So uh, as we get towards the wrap up, so next week I've got Nick Ladorf coming on. For those of that don't know Nick, Nick is a lawyer and also does stand-up comedy about being a lawyer genuinely i think it's hysterical i mean obviously like we're going to be his ideal clients or his ideal uh, audience for the comedy but nick's coming on to talk to us about how you use humor in the practice of law at the end of this you don't have to do a you know a tight 10 minute stand-up routine but working some of that into the practice of law to really build a relationship with clients to really make that connection um super excited for that that'll be next thursday may 18th at 6 p.m eastern um, we're going to go through that. Ryan, thank you so much for being with us. But before I let you go, for anybody smart enough to know that they need more help from you, wanting to learn more, wanting to hire you all, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Yeah, best way to find me is netprofitcfo.com. Um, there in the upper right-hand corner, I've got a connection directly to my calendar. Um, for any of your listeners, I'll do a free 30-minute, uh, I call it my profit acceleration session. Um, we're going to be diving into your business and really finding how you can improve your profits, even if you decide not to work with me. Um, but netprofitcfo.com is absolutely the best place and easiest way to find me. Um, if you if your listeners do a Google search, I'm sure you'll find me on LinkedIn as well because um, they do a good job of being at you know page one. So, um, but yeah, netprofitcfo.com. Well, thanks so much for uh, offering that for all our listeners and watchers here. That being said, if anybody has been listening to this for uh, maybe we're over time, maybe over an hour, and they don't remember anything else you said, what's the most important thing, the biggest takeaway, the thing you want as many lawyers as possible to know so they can be the exhibit A of a successful attorney? Yeah, I think the most important thing is 
your financials are really the key to financial success, to having a strong, financially healthy business. And it's something that you can't just, you know, go in the corner and avoid. And there are affordable, you know, financial professionals out there, you know, like me, like our firm and other firms too, that are absolutely happy to help you with it, help you learn along the way so that you can really conquer your finances um, and have a growing and more profitable law firm. Awesome. Ryan, thank you so much for being with us. To everybody who has spent the time to watch and listen, thank you so much. We'll see you here next week when Nick Ladorf will talk to us about how we use humor in the practice of law. With that, have a great weekend, everybody, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Exhibit A Attorneys. If you're interested in becoming the Exhibit A of Successful Attorney, please check us out at LegalEaseMarketing.com, E-A-S-E.